0: What's going on? Welcome to KZ1023's Community Beat, a new podcast hosted by myself, Ross Martinez. Each episode, we take a deep dive look into members of our community, the accomplishments, the trauma, the mentors, all of it. I hope this brings light to all the great things going on in our community. Yes, at times it may be difficult to hear, and some episodes will have some spicy language. But please don't be deterred. There's so much beauty in our stories. All right. Let's get to KZ's Community Beat. Thank you for listening.
1: Take the fence away. Make sure there's a grocery store in 052. Make sure there's mental health services in 052.
0: Welcome in to another episode of KZ1023's Community beats. It's Ross Martinez, and my guest this week, right alongside me, is Damario Boone, who is the Director of School Safety for Peoria Public Schools District 150, also, we won't touch too much on it because we're about the community. You are running for city council, just to throw that out there, you know, yep. just so people know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yep, yep. guys. What's you. going on? How's your day going? Good, man? good, man, awesome. What's awesome. new with your life? Oh man, it's just busy, busy work. But <laughs> I mean, I just I love the work. I love so, the
0: work. You've been working District One Hundred and Fifty Pure Public Schools. We were talking off Mike for what seventeen
1: years? Seventeen now? years. Yep. Seventeen. You've seen a lot. I've seen a whole lot. You said it was a smile. I'm stress. Bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's stressful some days, but I mean, it's it's addictive. I can't leave it. I, I couldn't. Why?
0: Why? Because you, you said that with not a stress smile, but yeah. like an enthusiastic, like I love helping.
1: Yeah, it's just you feel like you actually are doing root cause work. Like, Ooh. um, I was an officer on the street before. I was uh, with Peoria Public Schools. I was with Peoria Police Department. And, you know, big ups to them, awesome department, you know, but for me and my walk, like I didn't feel like I was doing enough in that role. Like Hmm. you can drive a squad car, make an arrest, clear calls all day long. You may pop in on, you know, some other things to help. But it was like I could not get that root cause Work So you were more reactive. Yeah. It was like just, okay, go go to a call, clear a call. Go to a call, help this person. Go to a call. You never had that time to follow up or do something more. Yeah. So when I got here, man, it's like a goldmine. Like, How so? Like it could start off with a kid just not going to class and you having a conversation with them and finding out I'm not eating enough or I don't have a mattress at the house or my mom and dad got to work third shift and I got to watch so and so. And then you talk to the parent, and then you find out, hey, we getting ready to lose. We had one time a parent say, hey, I, I need help with rent. You know, we've oh, we, we got to do this and that. We got them. Full service. Yeah, we got them rent taken care of. We got, um, and, and there's other times where a kid has seen trauma. We get wraparound services for a kid for counseling, wraparound services for, pa- for families. Like, you're able to get in the weeds and, and do all that. And it was stuff I felt like. That, that's what I needed to do. So I needed to do that. Why do you take so much pride in that, though? Like, honestly. I just, I don't know. It, it just, I have that serving spirit. Yeah. I just always had that growing up. Like, I just wanted to see people be better. Yeah. And, like, growing up, uh, I grew up with my grandparents in, in South Fioria, Um, I remember just being really small. And my grandfather put me on his lap. And I got to watch this movie with this guy in blue tights flying around, red cape. Superman, Superman. My Superman! Oh my man. gosh! And hooked me, man. Like yeah. I, I was a comic book nerd. Like always, Superman. Always. and and that is kind of. I was like, I want to be Superman when I grow up. Yeah. So logically, it was like, okay, what job can I do that's closest to that? And it was law enforcement or just uh, being an officer. So no. yeah. You did know. you ever? I how do I ask this? Did you do you did you ever have
0: conflict in the position? You, you know as minority men, and I know some people are going to hate this question, but it's a question I like to ask. Mm-hmm. As a minority male, did you have any conflict servicing the community? Because you saw a lot, there's a lot of hatred. Yeah. A cop is a person, mm-hmm. people make mistakes, there's some bad, some good. Let's mm-hmm. just put that out there. Mm-hmm. But have you, did you have any internal
1: conflict servicing the community? Absolutely. And, so? and it's crazy you ask this. I, I actually, I write for a, a uh, I do op-eds here every once in a while for um, a paper called Community Word. Okay. And I wrote about being a black officer is like being on an island um, oh. because, uh, and, and full disclosure, when I was with the Peoria Police Department, I got hired. It was me and another guy that got hired. If anybody wants to look this story up, it's 100% factual. You can look up in the Journal Star archives. It's okay. right there. Uh, <laughs> they, say the na- <laughs> yep, yep. they say the name of this guy. They say everything that happened. Um, so I go to the police academy. Me and this guy go. While we're at the academy, this guy makes some racial slurs. So, nah. you know, the way I was raised, the way my grandfather was, my, you know, my grandfather's name is Ronald Boone. Like, he wasn't having it. He no. was like... NAACP pro black guy, like he was in a Masonic lodge, he like said, he was he that said, type of guy. What? <laughs> yeah, he's like, nah, we ain't let that fly. So I had reported this when I was at the academy and it got me some blowback. Because back then that wasn't, you know, there's this blue line. Yeah. That you don't cross, you don't tell about this, you don't talk about that. You let it be in house. And I had reported this because it's just how I was. You know, I don't yeah. sit on things like that. You
0: were man first.
1: Yep. You were human yep. being first. And and when I reported it at that time, there were people in positions at the P.O.A. Police Department that didn't like that. that. Mm-hmm. From that moment on, their goal was to get me out of there. Like, we got to get you out of there. Now, granted, this kid admitted to saying these things in the context that he said them. But he was just like, nah, it was just a joke. And and so it made a lot of stuff hard for me, and that was the reason I left. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I got put to the—I was a 21-year-old kid. You know, I always wanted to be this cop. It's a
0: tough position as a 21-year-old yeah. on the island as a minority cop and experiencing that. Mm-hmm. But did you have any
1: support internally? Like, yo— I had some support internally. I mean, there's, there, there's just, like, teachers, lawyers, doctors, whatever. There's good and bad in every profession. Yeah. There was a lot of great cops on the Peoria Police Department that was like, hang in there. I got you back. White and black. Yeah. And then there was some officers that was like, you cross this line, we're going to get you out of there. And Mm -hmm. it put me in a lot of sticky situations, had me not knowing which way was up. And I said, I got to get out of here for my own mental health. Yeah. So I left. um, But also in that vein, when you're patrolling on the street and you're African-American and I was from, I'm from South Peoria, born, born and raised. raised. Yeah, and of course that's the area in patrol I wanted to go and serve. Service but, your community, right, right. <laughs> but when you get there, the police department has a way you have to service the community too. Yeah, writing tickets, um, showing up on certain calls, you know, making certain arrests, and a lot of these people were people I grew up with, new families, stuff like that. And when you show up on scene, whether that person is right or wrong. Yeah. And you the only black officer on scene. Sometimes black folk will look at you like, "Okay, you gonna bail me out of this we one, good. brother?" And sometimes you look at, her, "I can't bail you out of this one." Like, <laughs> "I'm on the clock." You're right. Like, I can't. Bail- <laughs> look what you did. I can't bail you out of this one. Yeah. But you go to put cuffs on. You go to. The- you looked at as another. You, you can really show not. up. Yep. Yeah. You can show up in the neighborhood that you grew up in, but just because you have that uniform on, you're an other, and you're on that island with the community. And then I had this internal fight with the department. I was on an island with them. So it was like when, when I wrote this piece, I wanted right. to show people that being a black officer, there's a lot more weight to that. Yeah. There's a lot more weight to be accepted to get hired because um I used to have braids when I first started See, Pure you Police just Department. Set
0: yourself up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I have braids I have, I used to have braids when I was in Pure Police Department. They basically discouraged us from having it. Like, hey, you might want to cut that off. Doesn't look good. You need to look like a traditional officer. Can't have certain facial hair. So I cut all my hair off. I tried to look the part. And it was, you know, it's not enough of us that was represented back then. Now police departments are throwing out those things. Good. Um, When I got control of my own department here at the district, one of the first things I did, strike out that facial hair, strike out the hair. We're not going to discriminate people by hair. But those were the things that we had to deal with as black officers. So you feel like, okay, I have to fit in just to get on the department. Then when I get on the department there, you know, it's a it's a craft that has not traditionally been a minority craft. It's more of a white male dominated craft. It's true. And you may be the only black officer in a room full of white males may not be from your community. So you may hear certain jokes. You may hear certain things that offend you. But of course, you're in that uniform, and sometimes you got to feel as a black officer. Do I say something about that? Do I show I'm sensitive about that? Hmm. So you have to hold it. You have to be quiet. You got to keep your head down. You got to do the job. Then you go on the street. You're looked at as an other. So sometimes you're on that island as a black officer, and it's 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 tough. It's tougher than a lot of people think. So, oh, this is a good question here. How old are you now? I'm 40. I'll be 41 on the 13th. In 12 where, days, I'll where, be 41.
0: You know the <laughs> you? Thanks. So as a 40 year old how have you learned to pick and choose your battles when mm-hmm. do you when do you let your pride take over when do you subside the pride and how do you understand this is the right battle to pick
1: mm-hmm. well when I was younger you know I was full of pee and vinegar like it was just like <laughs> you know I'm, I'm gonna fight everything you know it but as I got older I had to learn to prioritize the most important things yeah, you know, when I started having children, I had to be an example for them. Um, when people started coming up to me, you know, when I go to the gas station or when I go get something to eat or something, and they talk about how I'm a community leader, which I do not like that word. <laughs> I just, I I just know, put it out I there.
0: It, I changed. It. I was like, Oh, yeah I, I don't. I don't like. like,
1: co- like I like community leader. I don't. We've always had community leaders, and you see the state that we're in now. So <laughs> community leaders didn't do anything. So <laughs> call me something else because I want to be something else, a <laughs> yeah. trailblazer, but. You know, when people start calling you that and, and saying certain things like, man, I follow you on this or I read your," you know, you feel like you have a responsibility to be, you know, some sort of example or, or some someone to lead them into the light. Yeah. Um, which is another Superman reference. I, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's just like, that's the mindset I had. So it's like some of the things that used to bother me that made me want to pick that fight, it's like it's not even that important in the grand scheme of things.
0: Do you think it's... Just accepting you can't change what you can't change? Or is it just is putting your hands up like, all right, I'm done fighting certain
1: battles? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's accepting. I, I understand that there's some things I can't change. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that I can. And I'm going to put effort into making sure that I can change the things in my proximity that I need to change. There are some things that's non-negotiable I'm going to fight for. What else? Um, especially when I the way I left the Peoria Police Department, my mindset was putting more minority people in uniform. Um, I didn't know how that was going to be. And God had this path for me that, okay, your path wasn't being on the street. Your path was being in the schools. And when I got in the schools, it just so happened to have more people that wanted to apply for me that were minority. And when I say that, I'm not just saying black people. I'm saying I wanted people that were gay. I wanted people that were straight. I wanted people that were black. I wanted more white women. you know. I wanted people so that when they well, came to that. the schools, they saw themselves in those people in youth. Yeah. And that was like a real big charge for me. But also, I'm, I'm really big on social justice. Um, me growing up in South Peoria, it's not the same South Peoria anymore. I drive through there, there's a lot of dilapidated houses. There's a lot of you know blight. It's just, there's, there's food deserts there. The grocery store that I first worked at is no longer in that area. Like mm. that is really my passion is to make sure that I equal the scales for everybody and to make sure everybody has a shot, not just certain people because they live in six, one, six, one, five and six, one, six, Oh five is neglected. Like everybody in between needs the same shots and needs the same opportunities.
0: I really respect that man. Cause if I mean, getting back to the Superman reference, it's he did not care who you were, what you represented your
1: human life. And I want to give you hope. Yeah. And, and and no matter how much power he had, there's, I'm such a nerd. Come on. But, so am I, bro. Man, Let's do this. There's <laughs> a, there, I forget the comic book where somebody was asking Batman about Superman, about his power and stuff. And Batman says it's just an interesting dichotomy with Superman. He can fly in the air. He can shoot fire from his eyes. And people look at him like a god. Yeah. But it never occurs to him. Never. So he has all of this power and all he wants to do with it is service. It never occurs to him that he is a God. Yeah. And it's like, if we could just get people out of that mentality, like, oh, I got this mentor program. I'm the king of this. I got this program. I'm the queen of this. I'm, I'm a city councilman or certain person of this stature. So I'm this person and you have to come to me and kiss the ring. If we can get out of that. It's ego. It's ego. If we can just get out of that ego, man. And that's why I love confusing some people. Huh. Because when I do things, like I, I started a, a after-school program uh, called Lights on Peoria. I stole the idea from New Jersey.
0: Borrowed, borrowed. Borrow, yeah, borrowed that <laughs> remixed. idea. Yep, yep, remixed it
1: from New Jersey. Um, I got a lot of great people to help out with that. Nice. I, I do all the intervention stuff with our officers, stuff like that. And people just always say, you know... What's your shtick? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? That's you know, my question. Because they expect you to have some ego or you want to. Pay. And and to me, when there's no motive other than just the love of service yeah. and my faith, it's like, OK, but why? Everybody's. Like, but why, though? It's the golden rule. It's just the way I am. Like, yeah. I don't have I'm not sitting here saying I want to be a millionaire from it. I'm not sitting here saying I want my you know name and lights or a statue from it. It's just what I believe needs to be done. And I mean if so much, people man. would just have that mentality where it doesn't occur to them that they're God, it yeah. doesn't occur to them that they have this power or this title. Um, people call me Chief Boom all, all the time. Like, Chief Boom, Chief Boom, you do this and that. You know, yeah, I, I, I earned the title of Chief, but I'm, I, I, my officers will tell you, like, a lot of times they're like, we love working for you, man. And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, you don't work for me. Like, they, we are all working towards the same goal. And I know who I'm doing this for. So technically, you're an agent of that person, too. Yeah. So we're co-workers. I don't let them call me a boss because I'm like, I'm not your boss. Like, you, you know. And, alongside, it's, down in front mm-hmm. of the line. And people will run through a brick wall more for a cause than just a specific person. That's, because once that person dies off... That stops. That's a Batman reference. It is yes. I See? I didn't even know that. But yeah, people will run for a cause Because a further. cause can be a symbol. Yes. It could be
0: something you prop up and it, it doesn't have an ego. It doesn't have nope. confidence, insecurities, anything. It's mm-hmm. a cause.
1: And I'm so happy with telling people, you know, even on Facebook, I'm very active on my page. But when people are, you know, oh, I love this that you do. I love that what you do. And I try to humble them because I don't want to have that. You know, walking around here like I'm perfect. I tell them I have days where I'm depressed. I and yeah. I've told people all the time. I I deal with today internally, um, imposter syndrome. Where What's
0: imposter syndrome?
1: I've I've done all these things to earn where I'm at now to become chief of Peoria Public Schools to become you know who I am now. But there's something inside of me mentally that's always saying, "Nah, you didn't really earn this. Nah, it's not real. Nah, it's mm-hmm. a, you know." So I struggle with that internally. Is it like a self um, assessment of keeping you humble in mm-hmm. a way? It's almost so you more know- detrimental than humble. Cause How I, so? Because it it almost makes you regress. Like I didn't really earn this. Like I don't deserve this. So it fuels insecurity in a way. It feels like it, yep yep. Oh. So I deal with that. Um, I also have you know social anxiety, and people are you really have social anxiety and. You do this in front of people. Yeah. I you speak in front of me. people. For, yeah. But I mean, I always am upfront with people about those things because when you walk around here like your stuff doesn't stink, you walk around here like nothing ever happens to you and then you do something wrong and then you, oh my God, this fall from grace, that Will Smith moment where everybody's like, oh my gosh, Will Smith did this and oh my gosh, it, it, yeah. I'm hurt and this and that. With me, you going to know from jump, I'm not a perfect man, yeah. nor am I trying to be a perfect man. I'm just trying to make things around me more perfect. And it's like, okay, if DeMario messes up, well, he told you he ain't a perfect man. He ain't. Because I do. I mess up every day. I tell my officers, your chief messes up yeah. every day. So it's okay to mess up. We just need to do better.
0: You know, I'm glad you said that because um, when I, Becky Ross, who put us in Connect, right? Mm-hmm. So I I did my due deal and just I was looking you up and there was a quote that stood out. Uh, and I want to read to you and I want you to expand on this. It goes, I know for, I I know for our city to thrive, we have to address the root causes of issues. And I have to plan to do it. Talk to me about that. Man.
1: Because so, you kind of alluded
0: to it right yep, now. Yep. And I want this. I, yeah, I want to yeah.
1: feel what you got. I, it feels like it, this is my passion right now. The more because I'm like reading stuff all night, I'm looking at other cities, other states, seeing what they're doing to curb violence, you know, poverty, things like that. Um, I actually gave a talk at, a high school, one of our high school, my high school that I graduated, Manual High School. Mm. Big ups to Manual High School.
0: First in the pod, shout out to you.
1: Yes, the <laughs> Manual High School, <laughs> uh, the Ohio State. Yes. But uh, if I, you don't stop with the 49 <laughs> I swear to God. But yeah, I, I went and spoke to some um, some kids there because they had heard about the root cause issues, and the teacher was like, you know, nothing's off limits. They want to hear the real talk. They want to hear the straight talk from you. We read one of your articles and you talked about redlining and root cause stuff. Bring it to us. Yeah, talk to us. So I sat in this room full of high school kids and, you know, I said, we're sitting in um, the zip code of 61605, zip code I grew up in, South Peoria. I said, it's one of the poorest zip codes across the country, one of the poorest. And I said, there is a reason for that. And I literally showed them a map of redlined areas for Peoria. Now, this was a practice that was kind of in the 60s and 70s, which basically once black folk started, you know, wanting to buy houses and and get ownership of things. uh, People basically drew these imaginary lines around neighborhoods and said, okay, black people can purchase land here, but not here. And they color coded it. So green was great. Uh, yellow was there. I thought you say Mexican. I was like, cool. Was like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> My people. <were laughs> right, right, right. Hey, they put you guys in the same areas as us. We do. I know yeah, this. For yeah. a fact. I came from Chicago. We are at severely.
1: Yes. And then what they would do is the red areas were deemed hazardous. So mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. deemed them hazardous, of course, there was white flight. White people moved away to other areas. These areas were stripped of resources. These areas were made to be food deserts. These are what created your hoods. And when I showed them the drawing of Peoria, which was in the 60s and 50s and 60s that were redlined areas, mm-hmm. I could show them a map of violent crime in Peoria. And it eerily is the same from the lines that they drew in the 60s to the crime in 2022. Get out of here. And I said, that wasn't fake. That That's was created. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. It's created pockets of poverty. And what else does poverty lead to? Violence. Like, in the richest areas of, you know, the United States and these gated communities, when, when you have a grocery store right down the street, you don't have to worry about 50 liquor co- liquor stores around your corner. You know, you got a lot Smoke of people. shop, shop, uh, fried chicken on the corner. Right.
0: Let's be honest. It is what it is. In my hood, you would have... KFC, Popeye's, and then here's... Uh, Church,
1: liquor store, Chinese yeah. place. Church, liquor store, Chinese. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And you knew that was when you would drive to any city. Oh, we in the hood right now. <laughs> because you knew what stuff they put down there. And those were those red line areas. So when I spoke to those kids about it and basically said, let me take you to the beginning about why your communities are the way they are. Mm-hmm. And then when you add insult to that, because when these black folks in the fifties and sixties that were in these redlined areas wanted to sell their homes. Yeah. You bought your home for a high amount with high interest rates. But then when you went to sell them and they looked at that red line and said, Oh, they're in a hazardous area. You bought that house for 30,000. It's only worth five. How can you transfer wealth from one generation to the next? Can't. So you can't. So black brown poor families could not transfer that wealth. So, you're starting from ground zero every single generation. Now, when I'm living in these rich areas and my grandparents die, they pass this money down to my parents and the business and this, then they pass it down to this one. So, if I'm an affluent white person that is born, I'm born with a a far and above head start. Yeah. And you're, you're this poor kid, fourth, fifth generation poverty, you're born behind the eight ball and I had to tell those kids these are things that are created now that doesn't mean you have to sit there that's why you need to put elected officials that's why we need to go and vote in certain areas and then when we talked about voting I said that's another issue if I'm running for office and I know in 61615 if I could say 80% of those people vote in elections and 61605 20% 20% vote for those elections. Who you think I'm a cater to? Who you think I'm going to make sure has a grocery store? Yeah. I said if we show out in record numbers in 05, you could run every election you want and you can make sure that there's a grocery store in your areas. You can make sure that there's sufficient lighting in your areas. You can make sure that when they plow snow, they better plow 05 just like you plow 15. Yeah. Like you control the power. And, and kids, I loved it. Kids were taking notes. And so, so how do we do this? And how do you know, and it's like, that's that root cause work so that they can understand why you're here. What are the issues and why you're seeing what you're seeing walking out your front door in 05? And what are your next steps to change that? Yeah. That's, that's the, really the goal. That root cause work.
0: I want you to react to this because this is a, a phrase in my conversations dialogue with different individuals of different, you know, political aisles, beliefs, whatever. Somebody had told me, I forgot who this person was, but they told me um, the divide in our nation is the have and have nots. It so happens to be racism Mm -hmm. as the driving function of the divide. But it's those that have the elite and those, the 99% that don't. Mm -hmm. And in the 99, to keep us from overthrowing that one, they divide us between political aisle, between uh, religion, sex, everything.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your opinions on that? I agree. I mean, it's... It's it it has been like that. I mean, that is the American way where somebody feels that there's always somebody that have to step over. And Mm. you can look at that as, you know, rich and poor. Peoria is, is no secret. Peoria is one of the most segregated cities when it comes to finances, when it comes to, you know, certain class. And you can see it driving through the city. Uh, when certain people get hired for the school district one thing I love that the superintendent did was you know I'm the director of school safety so it's really not my job to do this piece but she's like hey I want you to take them put them in your car drive them around Peoria and I will start them off in my hood I'm like this is where I grew up here's the schools here's how stuff looks this is how it was then I get them to the East Bluff this is the East Bluff this is how things are. This is how it looks. Then we start going up north. And I'm like, do you, do you feel the difference? Do you see how different and segregated the city is? I could drive them all the way through Weaver Ridge and they can look at these multimillion dollar houses and I can drive them to 05 and they can see this poverty. And that's America. Like, yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. And it is divided by that. And the the rich benefit more by it because you still have these people at the bottom, you know. Yeah. So that's that is that created poverty. That's that created mindset. So I agree. You so know that
0: in your studies, in your proactive, reactive um, moments in your life, how have you seen the changing and evolution or deevolution of the community over the forty years you've lived here?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when I when I grew up in South Peoria, man. Oh, my God. South Peoria was dope. It, it, it still is, but, man, it was so dope. You know, in the 80s, you know, kid in the 80s, riding your bike, you know, there was a lot more home Um, It was just a lot more, you know, when I rode down the street, if I acted a fool, everybody was like, I'm going to tell Mr. Boom. Somebody on the porch was, yay. Yeah. They knew, man. And then my grandfather knew. Too many folks, so I knew I couldn't act a fool. And then I was the type of kid that when the streetlights came on, I had to run home. <laughs> like, I, and it was a darn streetlight. Like my street was Proctor, and it, I lived right on the corner of you Proctor not miss and dinner. Griswold. I'll tell you right now, man. You better
0: not miss dinner.
1: I could not. My house is right on the corner of Proctor and Griswold, and right there is like a freaking. I still drive past that light and look up there like my gosh, that light was terror. I'll take you back in the moment. That thing would cut on. I would sprint home. <laughs> I was sprint home. So it was just that village and that community feel. And I think partly that is part of the times too. We didn't have the internet like we did and Facebook and stuff like that. But I think once the world got smaller with internet and cell phone and you started getting closer to the computer but further away from humanity oh. it was like Yeah. You just felt this difference, this disconnect. And it seemed like the village kind of started eroding away. Yeah. So that's what I started seeing over, you know, my 40 years. It went from, you know, Friday night, wanting to, couldn't wait to watch Family Matters on TGIF, running there with the family, to, yeah. you know, people on TikTok and on their cell phones, and there's no connection there. Families not eating dinner together. Yeah. You know, those types of things are very important. They are. But, you know, when I look at, what people are dealing with in poverty right now they're fighting for survival. Mm -hmm. You know, putting food on the table is minimum that they're trying to do. So just trying to watch something on a Friday night with the family or, or have a dinner with everybody. is a little hard for people like that.
0: Functioning poor is now the term for us.
1: Yep. Yep. And it's like, so you just see this erosion from that family and from the village Mm -hmm. and everybody is so at a distance
0: so we we've, we've covered the, the the evolution and and the causes of it, but in your professional opinion, not professional, in your human opinion, what are some ways we could improve that and kind of bring that back? Mm-hmm. And not the good old America, but the yeah. we're we're watching each other. We're a community. We're united.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that's where it has to start in those communities. Um, I hope that. You know, one thing Peoria has to do is get out of our silos. We got way too many silos. I've been
0: hearing a lot of... What, you're the fourth, fifth person I talk to? Yeah. And every single person has told me
1: that. Mm-hmm. Everybody, there's... Not everybody, but there's a lot of silos. There's a lot of cliques. You know, I won't work with this person, but I'll work with this person only if they don't work with this person. And my idea is the best to pull us out of this and blah, blah, blah. First, we have to try to get everybody on the same page to understand this is the goal and you got a piece of it I got a piece of it this person got a piece of it and not have that ego attached to it
0: how can we do that
1: that is a very good question if I could figure that out be I would bottle <laughs> it up and I man because we're intellectuals we're, we're, we're people who have a big
0: heart mm-hmm. I mean whether or not we're doing it now the community cares about people Right, whether you're, you're black, brown, white,
1: mm-hmm.
0: anything, people here care about Peoria. I've yeah. seen Peoria proud. Yep, yep. It's a great saying, mm-hmm. but there's silos, mm-hmm. and I find it disheartening to hear so many times of people saying like, "Yo, there's little silos here. There's people don't want to work." And it's like, why? Why? It's mm-hmm. let's be preemptive. Let's let's get the kids. Yep. Let's build a community back up. Let's teach them that there's still unity and there's hope and love and passion. Mm-hmm. What are some ways you've done that so far? Like uh, you've instilled in District 150 over the 17 years you've been there. Yeah.
1: When I got to the district um, from the Peoria Police Department, when I when I first got there, I mean, everybody just had their lanes. Security did this. The counselors did this. Teachers did this. Principals did this. You know, everybody just had their lane and their goal. And, you know, they just kept... for. Now, when I kind of took over the department, um, I took over the department in 2016. My goal was to try to get as much of the village to be a part of the help. So when I got the officers on board with, hey, we need to do interventions. But as an officer, there's only so much reach you got. So the district has like a wraparound center, which has all these services for families and stuff like that. So it's like, hey. We need to partner with the Wraparound Center and make sure that if you do an intervention with a student, a student says they're hungry, you forward the Wraparound Center and we're able to get in the homes and do this. Right. So, center, okay. Mm-hmm. So you have the school safety department, which is us. You got the Wraparound Center that comes and helps. Then I thought about we need to make sure our partnership with Peoria Police Department is, is intact. Yeah. Um. We got a new police chief, Chief Etcheverria. Yeah. I mean, the dude, he's he pretty dope. He's a dope dude. I met
0: him a lot, man. He, and he, he is legit. You could tell he has a heart. For the he's legit. You know, I want and to talk to him for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm sure he wouldn't mind me even saying this. But when he was uh, applying for chief, he called me and conversation was only supposed to be like 20, 30 minutes or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He had called me and he's like, hey, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. I heard about you. Uh, first and foremost, are you applying for the police chief job? I said, heck no. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. And he's like, well, I am. And I just want to talk to you about it. You know, I'm very passionate about what I want to do for the city. And he told me, all. I let him talk. And I told him, I said, brother, from what I hear you saying, you sound like a great candidate and I'll back you anyway. But I said, I promise you, you mess up. And I didn't say mess. I said, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you F up, I'm going to call you out because I love this city that much. And he's like, call me out. And I said, if you don't do what you said you was going to do, I'm going to call you out on it. He said, call me out.
0: This oh. brother
1: got here. And when I tell you he went above and beyond with that conversation, he's done everything he said he was going to do in that conversation. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, I, I rocks with you. I yeah. rock with you. But I knew, OK, we got to make sure with wraparound, with the my officers, with Peoria Police Department. Then there's people like Carl Holloway. Yeah. Um, he's He was a character. Yeah, I yeah. Love Carl Holloway. I want people to have real life experience. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, there's kids that I can talk to, and they listen or whatever, and they're cool. And then just because of my uniform, there's kids that I don't connect with. I can't And I'm, I don't have that much of – I don't have hardly any ego mm-hmm. where if a kid says, F you, I don't want to talk to you, okay, I'm going to find somebody else that can. And I'm okay with saying, hey, Carl – Help me out. And Carl will be like, all right, give me his name. i rode over to the house. I got you, dog. <laughs> That's
0: exactly
1: it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And he go over there, hey, and he'll call me. Hey, just give you a heads up. I met with him. I talked to his mom. This was going on. Dad died, but duh-duh-duh. We're about to do this. We're going to put this on there. He on mail mentor Monday. I'm going to pick him up tomorrow. Like, I got love for that. So it's like, head. get the community pieces. So, that was my goal and and when people were talking about man i love how you're a community leader and i love the work that you do and i tell them you know what my secret is is i use everybody's (laughs) sauce it ain't mine i use carl for mentoring i use you know becky rossman for victims of, of violence i use the peoria police department when there needs to be a certain you know Ask or want here for city services. I use a wraparound center for this. We have a weekend program that I don't really run as much as another lady that helps run it. Yeah, I helped get the grant, but I didn't write the grant. And there's a committee, you know, there's just this committee of people. And all the secret is, it's just basically connecting the dots. This should have already been connected. And people are like, oh, you the no, no. I'm not going to take credit for it. Just make it Justice League. I see that's all I'm doing is Justice League. I got a Hawkman. man. I got everybody. Like, I'm putting <laughs> everybody man, there. Hunter, yeah, yes. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman Batman. I heard,
0: uh, here's a name I've heard a lot about.
1: Hetty Elliott. Hetty Elliott. I heard she's amazing. Man. If, if you're listening, Hetty, please, I want to talk to you. Man, if you... Hetty Elliott, if you go into her classroom, like, her class is made up of students where, you know, they couldn't function... You know, in, in traditional classroom setting, some of the teachers are like, these are the most difficult. Just kick out. Um, these kids are almost unteachable, blah, blah, blah. And Hetty's like, give them to me. Give them to me. Yes. And I sat in Hetty's classroom, a couple class periods or whatever. These kids, man, they were the quietest kids in the school and in her classroom. You could see learning going on reading going on they're reading words that i was like what word is that like they were on their game and then she sends them to lunch and they didn't even want to sit in the lunchroom they just wanted to come back and be with her and they're asking her like hey can i get a dollar for this to get that and she's like what about the dollar i gave you the other day oh, oh no no she's like here get take a dollar you know they're hugging her and that like they love this woman and these are kids that everybody else, a lot of people have just written off. Like she just has a way with it. And she doesn't give up on people. She does the adult education, mm-hmm. you know, piece. I don't know if you've ever seen a GED test. No. If you put the test right here in front of me now, mm-hmm. I couldn't pass that GED test. Same. It is that hard. Really? Hetty will get you through that GED test. Oh. And like, but that's what I'm talking about. You need that community not one person has the answer and i think that's going to be the solution is making sure you have that collective to just be like forget it forget the silos we need to do the work hmm. that's the work
0: so what pushes you forward besides just instilling hope there, there's gotta be more to it
1: see and that's what i'm saying to just gotta be more to it
0: I, I, not in a negative way like i i've you're very authentic mm-hmm. I, I i get this vibe from you mm-hmm. like i feel it that you're passionate you're authentic you want it to happen you speak very humbly, but you do have the confidence.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah I'm Superman. good at pulling that off, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: yeah. you're a great conversation. Yeah. I'll give you that. So, you know, Superman is is your mentor, right? Mm-hmm. What other people have impacted you in ways that you can see it put you on this path? Yeah. Or yeah. that keep you along it? Because yeah. you we know, have all got mentors or happiness. Yes, mentors. yes. So
1: who are those people to you? Yeah, Um. of course, my grandparents. That's mm-hmm. who I was raised by. Um. My mom, when I was, of course, when I was born. But my mom <laughs> was 14 when she was pregnant with me, oh, wow. and had me a month past her 15th birthday. So she was just a child. Yeah. Um. She literally almost had me on the front porch of the house that I grew up on in the South. I, real, man. You...
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, <wow>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you know, my mom was 15. You know, she couldn't handle me. So you know, she couldn't. She wasn't ready for, to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was with my grandparents, Ronald and Josephine Boone. And my grandfather was just like this no-nonsense kind of military type guy. You know, it was yes sir, no sir to him. You didn't what or huh him. Um, You know, there was just, we sat together, we ate together. Um, I didn't even know that we weren't rich. You know, you just felt like you were taken care of. And the way he was, and I saw the way he was respected by people, you know, and the way he carried himself, that was my first Superman. That was my hero. Oh. And then my grandmother, I mean, she was just this nurturer, but she was no nonsense, too. And, like, just seeing the things that they did for people and community and didn't ask for nothing back. Yeah. Like, I saw that, and it's like, okay, that's that's a path I want to go. And then, of course, reading the comic books and Superman. I always wanted to be Superman. But also, you know, with my mother, she had me at 15, And then there was a lifelong issue with substance abuse. So she and it had to be probably eight, nine years ago um, where she almost drank herself to death or we're sitting in the hospital. And and my mom and I were we're we're on again, off again, like even at this moment, we're estranged, you know, and hopefully we'll get that relationship back. That's something I have to work on, too. You know, there's there's some things with that. And those are some of the demons that I deal with, you know, not having the mother that I wanted. And it's like it causes these traumas. It affected yes. my relationships with women. It affected a lot of things. But watching her go through drug depression, getting arrested over and over and over and over again, um, you know, that stuff affected me. And then my father, he was, you know, 14, 15, too. Uh, he was a, a basketball star, played for manual um, early on. He got, you know into like little drug stuff and then my my freshman year of college or not yeah when i first got into college icc um i remember getting a letter from my dad from jail and he was going to prison in new mexico for drug trafficking and all this other stuff and i'm just like wow you know and there was years where i always wanted my dad but he Mm -hmm. was so in and out so absent so all of those things caused a lot of trauma in my life, and thank goodness for Ronald and Josephine Boone. Um, my dad now, you know, he's out. We we kind of started a relationship when I was thirty. You Good. know, he got out of prison, and Good. and now man, he, night and day, I'm proud of the guy. He's he's a heck of a he's a way better grandfather. You know, my daughter's like, hey, can Grandpa come to Grandparents Day? And it's just weird seeing him pop up at Grandparents Day.
0: You want him there for...
1: Yeah, I want him for... But I I love the guy he is now. You know what I mean? So having those life experiences, when I go into a school and I see a kid struggling with their mom with drug addiction, I feel that. And it's like, I want to remove that barrier. I don't want them having that trauma. To be a 41-year-old man, still having trauma about your mother, still dealing with the consequences of that... Still having trauma about your father, still dealing with consequences of that, dealing with the trauma that I experienced at the Peoria Police Department with racism, because um, there was a lot of trauma with that. Yeah. You know, it, it took me to a place where it was, I went to a dark place when I left that job, because that's all I ever wanted to be. And it felt like I didn't leave from my own terms. I left because of racism and it messed with my head. Because so, you didn't have the choice. Yep. So all of that toxic you know, stuff that gave me trauma. Now I want to make sure nobody else ever has to go through it. So that's why I'm so passionate about social justice work, making sure that when they walk in a room, if somebody does say the N word, there's 30 people there that are not just white people, but are very diverse. So you're going to be very uncomfortable saying it. Yeah, You're going to be very uncomfortable making that joke, making sure I remove the barriers for families where drug addiction isn't the first go to because of poverty. So I can try to make the playing field for people on 05 level so that they don't have to deal with those traumas I dealt with. A mom doesn't have to be drug addicted. A dad doesn't have to be drug addicted. A family can be intact. Kids can grow up with as least amount of trauma as possible. I think those pieces fuel me. So it's, it's like I'll use anybody in the city for that end because there's no ego to it. Mm. It's just making sure no one else has those traumas I had.
0: Do you think it's a fair assessment to say the man you are today is trying to, how would I word it, in a way, rewrite history with other people?
1: It's trying to rewrite history for a little Demario. Like, if there was a little Demario there, what would I want that person to do? The kid that mother was drug addicted, the kid that just wanted his daddy, um, the kid that felt out of place because it was just a lot of pieces it was like a perfect yeah. storm like my mother was adopted by my grandparents um so when we found that out my mom wanted to find out who her other family was and then of course i wasn't close to my dad so i didn't know really that side of the family as much so i just felt like alone i didn't know where i came from i didn't know who i was like that's a that's that's a hard pill to swallow to, yeah. to do that and not know who you are, not know where you can, because you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been, you know. And it was just a lot of pieces. So I, I, I think that, even in talking about this, I'm like, yeah, that is, I think that is what really is fueling you. Because you just, I just don't want anyone else to feel that way. I want to eradicate that. So I think it's me basically going back to that young Mario, that young DeMario, and being the person that I wanted to be there for me
0: being the leader the role model Mm. the father figure the community Uh, not leader, but just community
1: representative yeah 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 you can say leader i know it's it's an easy but it's It's easy
0: but you're more than that it i mean through this entire conversation it's more than you trying to lead a pack Mm -hmm. it's more like you're trying to unify a community it Mm -hmm. seems like you're trying to Break down silos and be like, "Hey Becky, hey Hetty, hey uh, Carl, hey, 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 what? Help me help them." Mm
1: -hmm. And it's 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 like that. I hate to it's cliche, but it's like in *Man of Steel* when um, Mm Jarrell tells Kal-el, "You know, you'll run, they'll follow you, um, they'll stumble, they'll fall, but in the end." They'll, they'll follow. They'll be there with you to the sun. They'll follow you to the sun. You know, and it's like all you, all you're supposed to do is be there and be a symbol.
0: You're not there be to hope. rule. You're,
1: you're not bring, there to rule. You're there to bring hope. Yeah, bring hope. And <sighs> if I run fast enough, hard enough, you know, passionately enough, even the biggest doubters and the biggest haters would be like, "Look, we got to get on board. We yeah. got to get on board." Like just to be that symbol is, is dope. Like and and two of my other heroes, I have uh, their pictures all over my office. Is uh, and it's also cliche, but don't say Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Nope, <laughs> no. Uh, I, it would be it, it's Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Why? And because I think you need a little bit of both. And
0: there's duality in both them. There is. There's a yin
1: and yang. Yes, and I talk about it to the younger kids at school when they're you know when some of the kids come to my office like. One kid didn't know who Malcolm X was. Educators,
0: because there's somebody listening to this pod that probably has never deep dove into either. Oh, man. And we can educate them currently. Yeah. And I think this would be a good
1: lesson. Yeah. So when I talk to the kids about it, and it's it's funny because, you know, my hair will be, and I got the glasses. This is the reason I have these glasses, my Malcolm X glasses. But one kid comes in there and doesn't even know who Malcolm X is, young kid. And he's looking at a picture of Malcolm X, because I got the picture of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King shaking hands and he points up there and he's like, is that you? I'm like, okay, I wish that was me. (laughs) I said, no, that's a a really old picture. That's Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And when I talked to them about Malcolm X, you know, Malcolm X was a man who was counted out. He was a criminal in the beginning of his life, went to prison, uh, changed his life through his faith and, you know, went to do a specific walk because of his faith. And, even in that walk, he kind of noticed, you know what? There's some things about my faith that is more divisive than inclusive. Because he was the by any means necessary guy. He was. We going to take freedom. We going to take this by any means necessary. I don't care what I say, whatever. You know, Martin Luther King was a reverend. He was passionate. No but he was nonviolent. Yeah. We want to have peace. We to. Do... So both of these guys butted heads. They was like Magneto and Professor X and they was in the media uh. just going at each other. And, uh, a certain pastor da da da, and Martin Luther King said, well, if you can't be nonviolent, we don't want you in it. You know, you're not helping. Mm. And these men clashed for years. And Malcolm goes to, to Mecca, to his to pilgrimage, to see other people that were in his religion that were blonde hair, blue eyes, that were white. And he's like, hold up. I was misinformed, you know. Yeah. So he comes back, and he's a different Malcolm. And that picture, that's why I got that picture of them shaking hands. And I actually wrote a piece about this, and I tell the kids, now with these two men, how great and how far would we have been if they were on the same page day one? Oh, man. Malcolm and Martin, like, that's Jordan, LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, pick, pick your one, too put them yeah, on a team I mean
0: that's Col- that's Kobe and Shaq
1: yes that's, they, that's a, their prime example. Kobe and Shaq right there but if they would have started off like that but we they were at odds but I, I have that picture up there because I want to be a mixture of both of them hmm. um, I want to be Malcolm when it's time to be Malcolm there's some things that's inexcusable there's some things your you're not going to sit there and take your yep. grandfather yep there's some things that you just can't sit by and do You have to step up. You have to step out. There's going to be some people with hurt feelings because you need to make sure that the cause is taken care of. And then you need to have a little bit of Martin in you to say, hey, we need to be measured sometimes with certain things. We may need to think things through and be more strategic in doing these things because the people we want to hear this message may not hear it because Malcolm is saying it the way he's saying it, but I need to package it a different way to understand. When I talk to people about food deserts, yeah, um, there are some people that just don't understand it. Like, you know, well, all right, explain the food desert then. Come on, intention today. Yeah, yep, yep. And where I grew up in '05, there the first job I had was Kroger, and it was it's on Harmon Highway. That's where the whole basically the south end went there to eat to get the groceries, get food, stuff like that. We lost that. Mm. There was a Aldi that was right down there on Western Street. We lost that. So really, to get groceries, you have to go way out of your community to just get healthy food. Now, you got a Dollar Tree and a convenience store and stuff like that in the area if you want to buy, I won't even call them groceries. But when people are dealing with that kind of poverty, you have people that most likely take buses, most likely can't drive or have vehicles, and with these gas prices, yeah. I think I make pretty decent money right now. I'm hurting with gas prices. Sure. So you can imagine someone who is in poverty having to drive to a grocery store, having to get on a bus, you know. But when you break this down to people that are, you know, that have, that don't even, that didn't even know the words food and desert, you know, in the same. When you break it down to them, it's like, okay, I kind of see your point. I see what's going on. I, I see what's up. And then you go a step further, like, you know, just even forget the food desert piece. Just the type of food that's given to us. Black people, one of the worst things we die from, heart disease. Mm-hmm. You know, diabetes, heart disease. Diabetes. diabetes, heart Same disease. Black and brown. Yep. Hispanic. We die from that stuff. When you look at just the Kroger's in different areas, and not even just Peoria, just nationwide. The Kroger I worked at, we had like a really tiny... Health section of you know a little bit of fresh fruits, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, tiny. You go to the Kroger on Knoxville, which is way out by Dunlap. Mm-hmm. They have this huge health food section. Oh, it's like a Whole Foods. Whole Foods, and then when you start to talk, and and the the people in power, the CEOs, will tell you, well, people down there just don't buy that type of food, so we don't stock that area. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, <laughs> if 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 you would one. You know, Whole Foods is expensive as heck, or other places are expensive. If you don't overprice it or price it out of people, hey, I love an apple too. I love oranges. I love you know. It's like you can just see that difference, and when you break it down to people, and they're just like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, it is different, you know. And that's that Martin way where it's like, look, I'm not coming at you, screaming at you, like, you better put a, a a Whole Foods or a Kroger here, or we'll burn yours down until we get them. I'm not coming that way. But I'm saying, look at what's going on as a result of you not doing it, because there's always going to be a south end somewhere. If if the south end collapses, Peoria collapses and the people and the families have to move another place and move another place. And what are you going to do? White flight, white flight, white flight. You know, it's better to help the people here. Yeah. So that's that Martin way that you have to frame certain things. But if they're not getting it in that Martin way, sometimes you got to be Malcolm.
0: Do you think Malcolm and Martin are perfect examples of reactive and proactive?
1: I think they're both proactive. Because um, Malcolm, you you cross that line. Yeah, he's reactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think they both. I think they're both proactive. Um, but I, I would say definitely Malcolm was way more reactive. You know, he yeah. was passionate. You know, he would go right to your face and say this is what I don't like and you're this and you're that and you're that, you know? And I, and I think you have to be careful when you just categorize a whole group of people. And I think that's what Malcolm found out later on. I can't just categorize that group of people and I can't just shout at them and say, uh, you're the enemy. There was a, there was a real poignant point, hmm. um, in the Spike Lee Malcolm X documentary when he's walking, he just got through speaking at a college and a young white lady walks up to him and she's like, I love your speeches. I love what you do. I want to help you. Is there anything that I can do? And he just looks at her and says nothing and walks away from her. Huh. And you can see the brokenness in her face.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's like, okay, I wonder what that woman did after that. Like, it's like, I can do nothing because of my skin. You fueled it. You fueled it. And you, you can't be like that that way. Yeah. You know, it has to be a little bit of Malcolm or a little bit of Martin in that. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, this is how you can help. You need to be an ally. But when I tell you to pull up, you pull up. Yeah. Like, don't pull up to me in, in quiet. And and one thing uh, I love that oh, shoot, sure, I watch a lot of TED Talks and, and I read cool. a lot I read a lot of stuff. We but... learn a
0: lot about you, DeMario. <laughs> I'm
1: liking this.
0: This is getting to the individual. Yeah. And we're understanding the bigger picture because a lot of us i don't know you Mm -hmm. i'm i'm brand new i'm authentically figuring out who you are the character yeah yeah and and it gives me a bigger image and i hope anybody that's listening right now is understanding there's more to you yeah yeah we're speaking frustrations we're speaking passions we're speaking hopes and dreams and morality and all this it all encompasses the individual that's a representative of the community yes Yes, you know what I mean. Yeah, and, it's and,
1: more. It's
0: like a little therapy session. Yeah, yeah, it about. is. It
1: is because I've not been this open in a long time. But <laughs> it's
0: a charm that God. Yeah, you do. With. Hey,
1: you good at this? You are good at this, <laughs> man. But send all your friends down. I, to. I will send them down here. But I mean, I, I watched this. I, I forget who this reverend was, and it was a it was a white guy, white reverend, and he's standing up in front of a, a congregation, mostly white people, and he's talking about racism. And he's not just talking about his church, but other churches. And he says, the best way to get through this isn't black people trying to educate us and tell us about how not to be racist or do this. He said the biggest thing would be the people that look like you and me, pastors that look like me, tell the people in their congregations about how racism is wrong. He said it, sometimes it might need to come from us within self-government self-government man and that was powerful and and he there was some quiet there was some people that was kind of like ooh with some of the stuff he was saying you know and I'm like yes this brother is saying what exactly needs to happen it's you know it shouldn't be black and brown people having to constantly tell a specific subset hey this is wrong don't treat me this way sometimes it is a lot bigger impact when people that look like you are telling you hey this ain't cool yeah. This ain't cool. And that's why it was kind of hard with Malcolm when he shunned that young lady. She could have been the next whoever, you know, to help. Becky
0: Roussel. Be- yeah. Eddie Elliott. Eddie
1: yeah, Elliott. You know what I mean? I keep name dropping. because yeah. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Could have been the next one. But it takes one word or one bad move and you turn somebody off. But, I, but like I said, that's why I think I put Malcolm and Martin there because mm-hmm. I consistently, when I walk in that office every decisions I make, the things I do, it's like you gotta have a, a, a balance. You gotta have a balance of both.
0: How can we help eliminate the fear? And I'm just not just talking as minorities. I'm talking mm-hmm. about as community members. How can we help eliminate the fear? I know it may suck that it's always on us to mm-hmm. to as minorities to help educate, right? Mm-hmm. But how can we be uh you've seen this, you probably heard Ted talks there there's the vibe. But how can we help as community members to bring that gap closer? Mm
1: Are you talking about more race or?
0: I think, yeah, race, eliminating the fear of not understanding. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of racism
1: is rooted in misconception and fear. Yep. And I think it has to start from younger kids, Mm. you know, because that, that racism, you are not born racist. It's not a freaking gland in your head that says I'm racist, so that's how I'm going to grow up. That is taught. Mm -hmm. Now, that that can be taught through multiple reasons. You know, the way the media portrays black and brown people. Um, When a president says that people from a certain country are rapists and this and that, and they're not sending their Mm -hmm. best, those type of dog whistles, when young kids see this, when people see this, that your leaders are talking like this, those are things that condition people. Um, I, I wrote another piece about, because um, I, I jog a lot. You know, I would jog around my neighborhood and stuff like that. And I actually wrote a piece about being a black person jogging yeah. and doing certain things that probably white folk don't even think about. And when I wrote that in my, on my Facebook page, there were white people saying, I never gave it a second thought. I would go run, I'd put my headphones on, and I never gave this a thought. I never mm. knew you experienced this. I had I put in there that when I jog, I have to make sure I don't have a hoodie on. I maybe you don't look deep. look menacing. Yeah. Then when I when I jog, I try to make if I if there's a, a white person or whatever, a female that's in front of me, I make certain noise that you know I'm coming up on your right, or I'm coming up on your left, or I'm behind you, or I may have to cross, you know. Just to I, avoid it. Yep. I make sure I don't go too close to a car that's got a door open. You might be running to get groceries. I run close to your car. You know, I look suspect there. I have to do all these things while I'm jogging just to make sure I make it home safely. Because we know one kid didn't make it home safely. You know, some guys chase him down with a truck because he goes into an abandoned place to look at a building and they shoot him down. Yeah. So that mindset when I'm jogging, there's a whole lot of things that I have to do before I jog and, and somebody who was white commented on there. All I have to do is put on my freaking headphones.
0: Were they a male? Yep. Cause I feel like you know, stop me if I'm incorrect on this, but running as a minority person at any point of day is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Is it a fair parallel for helping association purposes saying running as a female at certain times of the day is
1: also, I think as- it's, I think it's worse. I think women is, it's worse Um uh, my my girlfriend, Shama. Like, Shout sh- to Shama. Yeah, yeah. She's, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, if there's somebody else that, that you need to talk to, I'm not saying that because that's my girlfriend, but that's the reason she's my girlfriend. This woman I see is passionate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She is passionate about what she does, man. And she's the one that really kind of fuels me some days when I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, I don't know if the, the hall is getting too tough. Then I see what she does. Um, she actually ran for mayor, here
0: oh, I didn't in know the this? city.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. One of the youngest black females to, to run for mayor.
0: Oh, I'm going to grab her information yeah, up yeah there.
1: She, yeah, yeah, she'd be a good one. Okay. But, you know, when she is in places or whatever, you know, when she talks to me about some of the stuff that she experienced being a, a, a black woman and just being a woman in general, what men do, what men say, women have it harder anyway. Mm-hmm. But a book, especially a black woman, but jogging as a woman with the way things are, I I would think it's, it's tougher. It's tougher, way tougher. Yeah. But, you know, again, people don't understand who don't look like you or experience those experiences. They didn't understand. You have to do all that just to run. And when I run, it's really to, you know, make sure I don't die of heart disease and blood pressure and blah, blah, blah. But I'm running with high blood pressure because I'm nervous about something that might happen. Or if I'm listening to my headphones and I can't hear something and somebody thinks that something's wrong and I'm jogging and maybe an officer might pull up behind me and I don't hear a command. You know what I mean? It's There's a lot of pieces that goes along with being black and doing something.
0: You know, they say um, comedy is a way of lighting, uh, l- providing a humorous lighter take on a serious matter. Mm-hmm. So there's the the running joke, pun intended. But mm-hmm. uh, if you see a white person running through the neighborhood, you're like, oh all right, cool. You see a black man, a brown man running, you're like, Where's the cops? Yep. Or yeah. where's or who are they running from? Mm-hmm. Are they shots? And, like, I think it was uh, Eddie Murphy that cracked that joke. Mm-hmm. Or I, mean, I think it was maybe Richard Pryor, actually. It was his birthday today. Oh, uh, man, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just. This, remember this is that Richard joke. Pryor City. Yeah, it yes. is. Um, so, shout out to Richard Pryor and his family. I read some things that he said uh, his family passed him. It was amazing mm-hmm. information. But, yeah, it, it's like that joke. I don't realize how serious it is when we're laughing about it because mm-hmm. it's humorous. You're like, all mm-hmm. right, why is the brother running? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? But yeah. as you're explaining it, there's a very serious undertone of anxiety mm-hmm. and that it, it, it brings out this worry, this concern, like, okay, I'm a community member. That's doing yeah. a lot of positive. But at the same time, I'm still looked at as a potential delinquent. Yeah. 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 I'm telling like mentally, you mentally, how does that really impact you? And that, that it does impact me and but, emotionally too.
1: Yeah. And, and that here lies, you know, one of the questions that people talk about is, why is there so much violence in specific communities? Yeah, um, There was one guy that asked, he's like, you know, there are white kids that listen to the same music as black kids, and they don't go out doing certain things, or... Well, they, they,
0: it, there's a whole big answer to this. Right, right, right.
1: And this guy, you know, he said that, and I'm just like, brother, brother, <laughs> just, if you understand, I said, society, if we can be honest, society is not looking at a young black male and a white black male with the same lens. Not at all. Society doesn't do it. Um, And you can look at, you know, it even society conditions, black people, us, to not look at white and black males or females or just people with the same lens. We are conditioned to look at one as superior and one is beautiful and one is ugly. And what that's why when they have these tests, that people learn these implicit bias tests. Mm -hmm. There was one implicit bias test I took um, that it was very comprehensive and it shows what biases I have, which all of us have them. Can you send that to me? Yes. I would love to experience this. My my girlfriend is the one that gave it to me. Well, I'm going to contact her. I'm going to have her on the pot. Oh my gosh. (laughs) She gave me this thing and I'm filling it out. And the biases that I had, I'm like, man, I didn't know I had these things. They're unconscious biases. And, you know, you'll realize that some people have. Um, shoot, there was a real good study. I'm jumping all over the place. You're but, good. but there was a real good study. Uh, I wouldn't say good, but years ago, I have to send you that too, where they took little kids and they had the doll test where they took black kids and white kids. And these were probably first, second, third graders. And they put the kids in here with these dolls, black dolls. Light skinned dolls, white dolls, you know, and then they would ask the little black girls, which doll is the prettiest? And they'd unconsciously grab the white doll, put it down. Which doll is bad? He grabbed the black doll, hold the black doll up. And these were little black kids. And it's like, why are they conditioned at this age Mm. to think that they the, the doll that looks like them is bad? The doll that looks nothing like them is beautiful. The hair on this doll is beautiful. The hair on this doll is bad. Yeah. And then even as adults, we do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like I mean, this condition. And the beauty. Yeah. I mean,
0: you got to create an entire other magazine company even to just portray the image of black yes. success.
1: Yeah. That's, it, it's just, that's the kind of issue that when you ask that question, you know, how do we stop that fear and stuff? We have to start young. Mm-hmm. And we have to look at what we market. Like now, you know, now there, you know, you have movies like Black Panther that far and away blow out these movies. Yeah. And Hollywood said, "Oh shoot, black movies can have a black lead and an all black cast and make money and still be multi-racial." And still be not multi-racial. Not racist, mm-hmm. or, I wouldn't
0: hear Pewer saw what kind of forever, right? Mm-hmm. I just feel a bunch of white people. And I yes. saw like five of them just crying. I'm like, yes. you get it. Yes, you understand it." Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there watching. You know, guy. Like I am. Yes, yes. And I'm seeing y'all react. I'm like, allies everywhere,
1: man. Yes. And, and just the power in that. As in, I, I think, when the first Black Panther came out, I was thirty something.
0: Man, that first one though, man. I
1: remember going oh. to the theater and people were dressed up in African garb. Yeah, like Wakanda forever. It was so much pride. And I remember going into that theater, watching that movie, the lights came on and I stood up and I saw everybody of different races, but I walked out of there feeling like just because I had black skin, I was a superhero. Like I was a hero because I had black skin. I walked around like, nope, I am Wakanda. (laughs) Like it felt like I just, man, you just felt like this hero. Empowered. You felt empowered. And I was like, I couldn't imagine being a young black kid in this era where there are movies, where there are nothing but black people in them, where there is an era where I can't say that there has never been a president that looked like me. There's a president who you saw two terms that America, white, black, Hispanic, voted him in for two terms. And you got to live through that. You couldn't tell me as a child I hadn't. I had a ceiling at that point. (laughs) But we have to start Young and breaking down those blocks and those barriers, and then that will help white kids, black kids, everybody stop that stigma. But here in Peoria, with the crime that's going on, a lot of people say, oh, it's black on black crime. I don't black on black crime is a farce. There's no such thing. I, I, I want to say that there is no. How so? Cause there's going to be somebody
0: thing. that's listening to this right now that's uh, going to be like what Yep. yep. Like, what do you mean that black skin word... versus black skin and they're killing each other and they're right. like bah bah, bah woo, woo, wah, wah. there's going to be somebody that hates what you're saying yes
1: right yes that statement black on black crime Yeah, I hate it hate it hate it Hate. It. I, I hate it just about as much as computer theater but <laughs> I do not like black because when you see stuff happen in the news and people are shooting and killing each other crime happens to people because of proximity so when black and brown people are in the same area yeah those are the same people that are going to be violated those are the same people that are going to be the victims of those crimes it was interesting they don't say white on white crime. they don't say it and the thing is yeah and and the thing is you know and it's not a a joke but I, I I say it and some people oh my gosh I never thought about that so when you watch these shows No matter of fact, when you watch the news Mm -hmm. and you see a lot of black people that just so happen to be in the same communities with other black people committing crimes
0: and it just
1: so happens that it's community violence. Not black on black, it's community violence because it's close, it's proximity and that is so frowned upon and we're looked at as like scary and no black people. When white people do it, you know what it's called? Boys being boys. Oh, mental health. Man, oh, he was troubled. Yeah. Do you watch these shows on Lifetime and these snapped and these uh, not not first forty eight because they use a lot of black people in first forty eight. Well, that's different. But yeah, these crime dramas, Forensic Files. Yeah, yeah. Forensic Files. You know how many seasons of Forensic Files there are? Huh? There's probably like twenty darn seasons of Forensic Files. Hmm. The narrator, it, it went on so long. The first narrator died. They had to find <laughs> another one that sounded like him. Huh. I would say ninety percent of them crimes are white people. And it is glorified in shows, and nobody looks at them and say, oh, my God, white people are crazy. The fact you say that,
0: right? Look at the Jeffrey Dahmer thing. The Jeffrey Dahmer people thing. They are losing their—like, they were going crazy about how amazing it was. But have you seen a serial killer documentary by the brown and black person?
1: I, I'm waiting for it if it is. I'm pretty sure this, this stuff to happen, but you would look at Dahmer, and if we looked at people the same grade they give us with the news stuff, you'd be like, oh— well, are white people monsters? Because this is all I see, yeah. you know. But you give these these shows these cute titles when black women, black families have a bunch of kids, they're looked at and frowned upon, welfare and this and that. Octomom and somebody else have a bunch of kids. You get a show. Thank,
0: I hated that show. You know what I mean. Like, you, you get a know, show. I
1: it, but I hated the concept. You of get it. a show. Um, there's these polygamy shows where these guys, this guy has four or five. And and, hey, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But they look at those things in a different scope than they do when it's done in a black skin. Hmm. And it's like, if you guys will see this correlation, for us, it's first 48. For you, it's forensic files. And it's, oh my gosh, and it's glorified. Like, we're looked at at a different scope when it Hmm. comes to violence. So when they say black on black crime, no. Because you look at forensic files, A lot of those white people are killing white people. A lot of those white people are killing family members, wives, husbands, blah, blah. Proximity. Mm -hmm. So you're going to kill some. Chances are you could be, crime is going to be committed against you by somebody in proximity. Yeah. And if you're in a 90% African-American area, it just so happened that you might be assaulted by somebody or robbed by somebody or killed by somebody if they're going to commit a crime as African-American. Forensic Files is showing me those white people in those gated communities are killing white people in those gated communities. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nobody ever says white on white crime. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't. I don't. I don't. Let me ask you this.
0: All right, very passionate rant, and I'm with <laughs> it because it, it's things I've noticed, things I've seen as a child, into a teen, mm-hmm. into a young adult, into being 33 now. Mm-hmm. Like i I've, I've seen this. I've lived it. Are you also seeing the children? Because children are way smarter than we get them. Yes. What are the children saying in District 150? Mm-hmm. Like, you're there. You're seeing it. They know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're not dumb to it. Mm-hmm. What are some things you're seeing the children say about everything going on in the community? Or, or Are they a little bit more numb to it? Or are they not uh, up to it yet?
1: Yeah. It's unfortunate, but they're getting numb. And At early ages? Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy how we think they're resilient. But again, you know, the traumas that I suffered with my mother, my father and, um, you know, not knowing part of my family and trying to find roots and stuff like that. I carry at 41 and people would be like, man, you look like you're OK. You're good this. I still deal with those demons at 41 yeah. and I have a fully developed brain. I can think cognitively. And I can, you know, say, hey, OK, I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to do these things to cope. I'm going to do these things to be OK. Children don't have that yet in their brains. The human brain does not fully finish developing until mid to late 20s. Yeah. So they cognitively don't have the tools to deal with the trauma that's happening outside.
0: Do you think the media portrays negative ways to cope with our traumas oh, yeah. as we're getting it up? Cause I know we see a
1: lot of shows where you know
0: you're smoking and mm-hmm. drinking, consuming all
1: this. Yeah, I and I, I'm guilty of it. My one of my favorite shows back in the day was Real Housewives of Atlanta when it first came out. Man. <laughs> Why, brother? I, Why, brother? I was watching that. I'm, I'm <laughs> go get them Mimi. get them. You know, I'm watching them argue and yeah. Then love and hip hop would come on and then flavor arguing of love was mine. flavor of right. love flavor, flavor. and you're watching st- shows that have to deal with us that are showing and reinforcing one stereotypes but showing trauma, showing men cussing women out, showing women fight, showing black people trying to outdo one another, who's better, who's this, who's that? Broken I have, families, right? Broken families, you know. And it was like these are the shows that they're trying to market and portray up, and this is what's feeding our kids. Yeah. And then you got social media where, you know, Facebook is showing a lot, it's showing a lot. And, and kids are seeing, a, you know, when kids are having bully issues at school and there are, you know, people ask me about root causes of that and stuff like that. And I'm like, you just look at Facebook. You got adults that are bullying each other on Facebook. Yeah. What are these kids seeing? You know what I mean? You know, there, there's a video of, of a kid. Shoot, it was a video I saw the other day. A kid was walking up to a guy in his car, and the guy was like, you want me to rev this car up? And the kid's like, yeah. And the guy revs the car up, and the kid goes, oh, you know, he's excited for cars. The kid likes cars. You look in the comments. They're talking about the kid's hair. They're talking about his clothes. Talking crap. Talking, talking crap. You know what I mean? And I'm like, these are adults. Yeah. And this is the – and we want kids to have better behavior but they're exposed to this 24-7. So I think even with, with that, the crime and trauma that's happening in our cities, one thing that our district gets um, is called uh, handle with care. What's this? It's these emails that we get, um, and I send it to my team. So whenever there's any police interaction near a home, police interaction in a home, we get uh, this handle with care that shows the name of the school and a student ID number. And that basically just shows you that that student was affected by some sort of trauma. It could be shots fired in their area. It could be a domestic violence incident where police had to go in a home. It could be a DCFS incident. But if it's, they will get flagged on there. There's some Mondays where I would get 40, 50 hits. 40, 50 kids affected by some sort of trauma. And then when the kids come to school, you know, it's not a license to come up and say, hey, what happened to your house the other day? What happened? Was there shooting in your area? It's not to come up and say that. It's to basically, you know, and I love my officers, man. They are dope. Some of my officers will see a kid at lunch, come up there. Everything good at home, man? Everything good? If a kid says, yeah, everything's fine, okay. But a kid, sometimes a kid will be like, no, everything's not okay. Somebody got shot outside my house. Hmm. And the officer, here, come talk to me. And they have this conversation. And then if they think or they know the kid is not okay, let's put those support services in place. Let's talk to a counselor. Let's good. do this. So, but... A lot of times you get kids that say no, everything's okay. And you know that it is trauma that they're holding on to. Mm-hmm. That they are become a lot of them are becoming numb to it.
0: I mean, ten years ago, you and I would not be socially accepted into talking about our traumas. Mm-hmm. Mental health, I remember when I was talking to my parents about the time I first time I went to therapy, I'm like, I'd rather have the sex talk with them than that.
1: Mm-hmm, right. It was a, and I hate to say stigma because I don't want people to even think, oh, therapy and whatever is stigma. When I was a kid, I had therapy as a kid because I went through trauma. Yeah. I was hurt that my father wasn't there. I was hurt that I couldn't be with my mom. So I acted out in a certain way. My grandfather, who was, you know, in black families, it was, that we ain't going to talk to nobody. We, you know, everything's in-house. If it, if it couldn't be fixed with a belt, it couldn't be fixed. You know, <laughs> yeah. my grandfather. But even he said, you know what, maybe we need to talk to somebody and get them a counselor, do this and that, whatever. Cool. And I think that that helped because it gave me some tools to cope with things. Yeah. wasn't perfect, but it gave me some tools. And I think we, that has to be a huge focal point when we talk about trying to correct certain things, is mental health um, because you got a lot of parents. I, I see it all the time working in the district. There's a lot of parents who are young like my mother was, you know, having children extremely young. But they are just recently coming from poverty from their parents and traumas that their parents inflicted on them. And then they have children. They don't know how to parent yet because they're still developing and they're still growing. The human brain, yeah, it develops and finishes growing mid to late 20s. But that is without trauma. And in the black and brown community, when you have communities that were redlined and starved of resources... You know, high trauma, high crime and created pockets. Those areas, those people's brains, when you study them, their brains are equivalent to people to go serve in war and have PTSD. And it's that type of trauma that when you explain to people that are not in those areas, they don't have to worry about those things. Police cars coming up and down the roads, police lights out there, kids standing on their bikes who got shot. Um, Kids going and jogging and police having lights behind them, you know, because it's a high crime area. Um, Fights out in the middle of the street because, you know, family beefs and stuff like that. That trauma growing up, brains have been looked at and they're equivalent to people from the Vietnam War with PTSD. Now, people don't look at it that way. So those these people in these areas don't get mental health services at the level we will flood money into veteran care and to making sure our veterans as we should because they've done a lot for this country of course i wish we would give that same time and energy to people that were not of their own design put in these redlined areas and created pockets of generational poverty and over policing because the police have not always been up and up with black and brown people there are still departments that aren't up with black and brown people. There, shoot, they had to disband the whole Ferguson department because of mm-hmm. looking at what they did to black and brown people. Mm-hmm. We so, still
0: have where text messages come out of different departments. Yes, every other week, day, month, there's still something being uncovered.
1: Yes, yes. And when you do that to a community, and you do that to kids, young, and we are talking about the brain, the brain is not going to be finished developing—at least, not right. In the mid to late 20s, hmm? whenever a kid goes through trauma, it carves a specific neural pathway into the brain. Now, defensive. I'm going to get defensive. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I'm going to get scientific you. on you. We need this. <laughs> so if if I'm a kid and I go home and I have two abusive parents um, and whenever one parent says, hey, what's for dinner? The other parent says, well, I want to cook this. Nope, I want this. And they argue and fight to resolve that conflict. And that kid sees that over and over again. That, cur- that carves a neural pathway into the brain. So when they leave the house and conflict happens, the brain automatically goes to that neural pathway because it's the easy path of least resistance. So this is how I resolve conflict. That's a trauma response. I, trauma response. I've never learned how to say, let's talk about things. And And in black families, I know mine. My grandfather, if I got an F on a report card, if I told a lie, if I did something, he tore your butt up. Yeah. It was a beat down. Were you conditioned to lie? You were conditioned to be, to lie because you were scared to get your butt whooped. You know, and he wasn't an I'm sorry guy all the time. You know, I never really heard him say he was sorry about a lot of stuff. Um, and we got our butts whooped for stuff. Sometimes we didn't do. And so when I've had children, my immediate response to punished behavior was spanking your butt. Yeah and didn't understand that there's certain things I need to unlearn. And when you give kids this trauma, it takes a lot to unlearn it. Mm -hmm. Mental health services, because a counselor, a therapist can give you new tools to carve a different neural pathway. So you don't always go this way. Like you want to go, Oh, I'm used to conflict and screaming, but I have a skill now to not go that pathway. So when you got, a ton of young black men on a corner and two of them having beef and one pulls out a gun and pulls a trigger and walks away like it doesn't matter. You know, we have to learn how to resolve conflict and teach them how to do that younger. Yeah. So it doesn't just resolve, resort to that. Or if you're in an all white area, one white kid pulls a gun on another, you know what I mean? Proximity. Yeah. Proximity. We still have to make sure that those traumas are taken care of. And that's what I worry about with kids that they're becoming numb to it. It's just becoming normal To have shots fired in my area, dead bodies, dead kids, going to funerals, getting it. You know, one thing I always say, you know, when kids got shot and killed and and kids that were in gangs and stuff got shot and killed and the whole gang would show up and I would talk to them. I'm like, y'all don't just get a freaking free teacher out of the deal, a rip pookie or a rip so-and-so and and y'all forget about everything. Like there was a reason this happened. We got to make sure this doesn't happen to you too. You know, and then you know some of them are just so hardened to it. I just tell them, man, it is what it is. All that's gonna be left to you is a free T-shirt. Like you're so much more than that. You guys have to learn how to resolve conflict. Other than okay, you shot him, we about to go lash back. We about to do this, or you jump me, I'm about to come get you, or you stepping on this hood. You know, we have to give them the tools, young, to get yeah. through these things. And I think that'll help, especially with that youth violence piece is to make sure we flood. That's why I said, I can't do that whole piece myself. That's why I need Hetty Elliott to get the ones that are not just on the bubble, but the ones that are in the red because Hetty can get them. And I need Carl Holloway to get the ones that Chief or Officer Boone can't get because I'm an officer and it's F-12. So I'm going to get somebody else that ain't 12, that been to jail because I can't reach some kids and I cannot have an ego about not doing that. Because it's gonna cost a life if I do. We have to break that.
0: Have you heard anything? Uh, I met uh, Carl Canning, mm-hmm. the Elite Program. I went over there, I checked it out, and the way he had run yeah. everything, I'm looking at. It, I'm like, oh my god! And then he opened up the doors a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. the plans he has moving forward. I'm like, we talked coming up the elevator mm-hmm. how we are in an epidemic of violence. Yep. Right. And I, I'm still new to the community, but there's a lot of passionate people about changing that. Mm-hmm. Well not changing, but adapting, evolving, figuring mm-hmm. out how to be proactive rather than reactionary, but still have the reactionary, mm-hmm. teaching the mental health. Has have you seen an evolution within the five years, last five years, of helping more yes. or the community being stronger?
1: I have. I, I mean, is it, it
0: kind of disheartening, but also empowering at the same point? A duality? The like, there's so much effed up things here. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that want to help.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've seen the evolution of, and it's kind of a bad thing because you will see more people step up to help because Facebook gives you a platform to show what you're doing. Yeah. Like, a lot more people will do something with homeless people or give them money when there's a camera back there. Like, hey, watch me give this homeless person a. You know, a chicken sandwich or $5, you know. So the platform to show off what you're doing got bigger. So I'm not saying everybody's like that, but a lot of people jump in like that. Um, Because people tell tell me all the time, some people get in my inbox, man, I love what you do. Man, how can I help, blah, blah, blah. Don't tell me that because I'm going to call you and I'm going to ask you. <laughs> and sometimes you'll call and ask some it'll go on red and be left there. And then you get some to be like, okay, I'll show up to an event. Nah, brother, I need you to show up to two events or four events. or I need you to do this. And then, you know, I, I had a guy a long time ago. Um, when I first took over his uh, director of school safety and I was talking about, you know, some stuff I wanted to do. And he's like, man, I want, I want a tough kid, man. I want a kid. so I said to mentor. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I want a mentor. I said, do you understand the nature of what a mentor is? And he's like, yeah, kind of gave me the, you know, the TED Talk version of a mentor. Be a great person in a young man's life or a young lady's life and do this and that. And I said, okay, so you got the, the vanilla version. I'm going to give you the Peoria version of Ooh. a mentor. Huh. A Peoria version is when this kid ain't listening to his mama and she has nobody else to talk to about this kid. She could call you at 1 a.m., and say, hey, Johnny is at Griswold Liquors on the corner with his boys. He ain't listening to me. And you pull up. Mm -hmm. You're not there just when the sun is out and when Johnny ain't doing nothing. You there when Johnny is with the mess.
0: Johnny on the spot.
1: Yep. You have to be there. That's the Peoria mentor. And they need to see that, not one time, not two times, but consistently. Because these young black men, especially, They're so used to other men weaving in and out of their lives, people making promises and not being there. And they're used to that. So they you're only going to be here for a little bit. Consistency will change, folk. I've seen it. So I'm like, that's a Peoria mentor. You ain't ready for that. I understand. I didn't hear from that brother no more. But that has to be what's at stake. And it has to be. It can't just be one person. It can't be two. Twenty four seven. Carl, there's only one Carl Holloway. Yeah. There's only one Hetty Elliott. There's only one me. There's, a, you know. That's why I say it. you can't be in a silo to fix the issue. You can't be. It's impossible. There are too many needs and too few people to do it. If you divide, Peoria has an abundance of services. If we group stuff together, you know, I, I hate seeing where one person's like, oh, we got this toy drive for this organization, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody else, oh, my toy drive is the day after that and da, da, da. And, oh, we got this toy. Could you imagine if Malcolm and Martin got together in the beginning? Everybody be like, okay, we're going to have a toy drive every day for December. What day you picking? What day you picking? What day you picking? How much money y'all got? Okay, we're going to make sure this money is equal. We're going to make sure we hit as many kids every single day in December. Mm. That is a lot better than Johnny's having a toy drive. Her, she's having a toy drive. Make sure their name is on it and pat themselves on the back. You've done nothing. Sand. I'm kind of getting a little emotional on that, man. That's...
0: In a perfect world. Mm-hmm. What's your vision of the community?
1: Man, that everybody, regardless of color, regardless of... Cre- everybody has the same opportunity. And... Just, you know, everybody's got that same dream they want. You want to be, you know, financially okay. You want your family to be happy. Everybody just, you want to be fed. Everybody wants that. Like, I want to see that across the board. And and one of my, one of the favorite pictures when I did a talk, I actually went to Metamora High School. They would have me speak uh, once a year for cultural diversity and race and stuff. And there's one picture I put up there. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It's a picture of these three uh, young kids watching a baseball game but there's this big fence in front of them. Yes, 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 And you see the, the first picture, of the tall kid can see over the fence. The short kid um, can't see over the fence. And there's like a really, really tiny kid. He's just looking straight at the fence. <laughs> and then um, the other picture is when they put the crates underneath the kids. So you see the tallest kid doesn't have a crate underneath him. The kid in the middle has one crate. And then the kid at the end has two crates so he can see over there. And everybody's like, that's what we want. And I'm like, no. That is, that's just halfway that's doing the work the real goal is to remove the fence take the fence away <laughs> take the fence away why that's the way you going with it but yeah. Yeah. take the fence away make sure there's a grocery store in 05 too make sure there's mental health services in 05 too okay put the crates there and then make sure that everybody is served equitably remove the fence that's it. That's your ideal dream. That's my ideal, Peoria. Remove the fence. Remove the fence. You believe we've been talking for an hour and a half? No. Man, you're really good at this. <laughs> you're
0: really good at this. I finally just got through with Oprah. Like. Man, it's dope. You are, the Mario Moon, you are a very passionate, charismatic man. I'm going to tell you that right yeah, now. I appreciate it. You have a big heart I can see, man. For people that want to get involved, how can they contact you or how can they contact anybody? I mean, we're talking about District 150, but in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're we're taking the fence
1: away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to contact me, you get on Pure Public Schools' website. I My phone number and my email is right on there under the school safety tab. Um, a good thing is, is I have these meetings. Um, the mayor, uh, Mayor Ali, she has these meetings with, uh, she calls it safety net. Mm. And she just invites people to come in, you know, for safety net. So there's a lot of connections there. If there's something somebody needs and they hit me up, hey, I need help with this and that, I will find somebody. I don't have the answers for all of it. But like I said, the secret to my food is I use everybody's sauce. So I will find somebody's sauce to be able to to help you. Like That's all I do is connecting the pieces. That's the secret. So they can email me, demario.boone at psd150.org. Um, my cell phone number, 309-256-2671. That's all on the uh, district yeah. website. So, Thank
0: you all so much for tuning in, DeMario, man. I I greatly appreciate this. I appreciate I'm going to have to have you back out after a couple episodes. Right, cool. I, I think we're going to cool. have to do this again.
1: Yeah, I got, you. I got uh, you. This has
0: been another episode of KZ1023's Community Beat. I am Ross Martinez. My guests here, do you want your titles or not? You probably don't. You do ah, Just nah, my name. Just my name. <laughs> right here, DeMario Boone. He's doing a lot of good for the community, man. I appreciate you greatly. Thank you so much. Don't say it back, man. You're good. I Thank, know, you. Eh? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Next episode will be up. Go sound to do whatever you got to do. Thank you so much. Peace out.